Hello and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest news, explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics include NBA free agency. Who got better? Who got worse? And what's with all the player movement? Plus, week 12 in the NFL. Which teams are in desperation mode for a victory? And in Boston, can the Pats salvage what's become a lost season? It's episode 4 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Now, before we truly get underway for this episode, I want to wish everyone out there a happy Thanksgiving. Hope everyone is safe out there. This is a special recording because we normally record on a Thursday. We are recording here on a Tuesday for you. So, again, wish everyone a happy holidays. Hope everyone is safe out there celebrating with your families. Now, to get started, we're going to look at the NBA and all the talk has been all the movement so far in free agency, the draft, the trades, the free agency signings. And there were a lot of moves to break down. So the way we're going to break it down is we're going to look at the teams who improved on with their signings and all their draft. Going to look at the teams who have sort of stayed neutral, where they've had little to no improvement. And then we're going to look at the teams who have worsened themselves. Now, this scale isn't necessarily saying who's going to be the good teams and who's going to be the bad teams. But in the neutral side, we're going to look at the teams that really, to me personally, didn't do a ton of improvement on their teams. They might still make the playoffs or not, but that's how I see it. And then worsening teams are teams that have maybe set themselves up for possible failure or future failure. So that's, I want to just break that scale out right away before I get all those critics out there telling me, hey, what are you talking about out there? So I want to start with the improved teams, and the obvious one that really just sticks out are the Lakers. I mean, the defending champs, I think, how is it possible for a reigning champ to get better? Because that's what I think the Lakers did. Remember how stacked their roster was when you have that starting five of James at the point guard, and then Davis and Howard and Green, Kuzma, KCP, all of that. But I think whatever they lost, they gained so much more. So let, let's keep in mind who the Lakers got in free agency. They get the reigning sixth man of the year in Montrez Harrell. Not only does he go to the champs, but all he's doing is changing locker rooms. That is a great pickup for the Lakers. And I think he will be in contention to either be another six man of the year award or he could get himself into the starting lineup we'll have to see how that works but a quiet signing I like is Marcus Saul I think with the centers that they had last year with Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee they didn't really have an outside game Marcus Saul gives you that flexibility he's kind of like a secondary Anthony Davis in the fact that he's got a three-point shot to his game when your other centers did not I think that's a great pickup for the Lakers. And then the two other re-signings of 
Contavious Caldwell Pope, and Markeith Morris. Those are two very underrated players that people, they didn't really realize how important they were until the Lakers got to the finals. And KCP, he's a great shooter. He was that great shooter for LeBron when he's driving out. He's got that three-point shot, and I think they got a great value for him. About $15 million a year is good to give up when you have KCP. And then obviously Markeith Morris, he's got that toughness down low. And what did the Lakers win with? Size and toughness. They had Kuzma, LeBron, Davis, Howard, McGee. They had so many tough guys, and you need a tough guy off the bench. And that's what I like in Markeith Morris. And right now, the way things look... I think the Lakers right now, again, are the team to beat. And I would not be surprised if they make the finals yet again. Because they just got so much better. So much better. Now, the other finals team in that were the Miami Heat. And I think they also improved. Now, they don't have a ton of free agents out there. I mean, they, they re-signed Goran Dragic, which is a big pickup. It's, it's a win-win situation where... If Drogic doesn't play well, you'll only have him for a year in a rental. But if he does play well, you can get him even more long term. And not only that, but you get Myers Leonard. You have most of the team who went to the finals coming back. And not only that, you get Avery Bradley from the Lakers and you get Mo Harkless. Now, Avery Bradley, I think, is a sneaky good sign in the fact that he's a great defender. And Miami... They're built around defense. What they did defensively all through their postseason run is only going to be improved with the addition of Avery Bradley. Now, is he on the down years of his career? Yes. But he's a guy who can come off the bench and he can provide you, again, that defensive prowess, whether you go man-to-man or you go into that 2-3 zone. There's one thing that Avery Bradley knows how to do since he entered the league in 2010, and that's play defense. Now, I will say they did lose Jay Crowder. I think that's going to be somewhat of a big loss, but I think the Heat, they've ultimately regathered their team from that finals run. And I think Miami has once again a shot to get to that top four. Now, one other team I looked at as improved, and that's the Phoenix Suns. Now, I look at their position in that they improved to where I think they're going to make the postseason. I, re- I really do think that. Because remember, they went undefeated in the bubble, and they still missed out on that play-in tournament. I think they're a good back-half playoff team. Maybe a 6, 7, or 8, something like that. But you have a rising Devin Booker. You have a great big man in DeAndre Ayton. And not only that, but you trade for a veteran in CP3 and Chris Paul, and you bring along the aforementioned Jay Crowder. Now, are they championship contenders? No. But will they get to the playoffs in the next year or two? I'm going to say yes, because that's a great starting lineup right there. Chris Paul at the point, Devin Booker, Jay Crowder at the three. You re-sign Dario Saric, who's going to be the four, and then DeAndre is going to be your five. That's, I think, a great starting five. The thing I'm going to look at though is the bench because they don't have Aaron Baines. Baines had a career year. He signed off in Toronto but everyone else on the bench I'm not really sure. I don't know if it's a one-year thing if this can be sustained but I think Phoenix 
probably made next to the Lakers the biggest jump in terms of free agency. So those are the teams that I really think improved in this free agency period. Now, on the neutral side of the free agency teams, this list is a little bigger, I think, for me personally, than the teams that have improved themselves. And I'm going to hold off on talking about the Celtics because they're in my list, but we're going to talk about that in our Let's Get Local segment of the week. But another team in the Eastern Conference I want to look at are the Nets. Now, I think the improvement is going to be with the combination of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I think those two are going to make the Nets better. Do I see themselves as championship contenders? Probably not, because we don't know about Kevin Durant if he's going to be back to his old MVP ways or if he's going to take a step back. And then obviously Kyrie Irving, the way his ball handling is with the majority of the time, how that's going to mesh, and also the injury history of having his shoulder problem. But from free agency standpoint, they didn't really do a ton. I think getting Joe Harris back is great for them because they need shooting around them. Did they overpay for him? Possibly. Possibly. Because Joe Harris, he's at, at best, he's a fill-in roster guy. Because he's a great shooter, but to give him four years and $84 million, that might be an overpaying. Four years, $84 million, that seems like a lot. It, it really does. But he's been around enough, and he, he's proved himself to be a reliable source uh, for Brooklyn. So for Joe Harris, I'm not sure. But I think also the trade with Landry Shamit, I think that's a good option to have off of your bench. Because the Nets are also looking for the future. And I think when you look at that that bench, you have, you have uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, you have DeAndre Jordan, you have Torian Prince, and now you add Landry Shamit to that. I think that's a a good p- pickup. Probably the the pickup that will be talked about as a positive for the Nets. I think the Nets have that's their best move that they made in the offseason. And then some more veteran help with Jeff Green. He's bounced around a lot. They're hoping that he could have been a, a great scorer from when he took over the number 1 role in Boston, but he's just bounced around so much. Is he, re- is he a reliable option? Sure, but it's kind of like a one-year rental sort of thing. They're hoping that Jeff Green, remember, in Game 7 when he was on Cleveland in 2018, he scored 18 points, and LeBron James needed that help, and Jeff Green was there to, to pick it up. So he's a little bit of an inconsistent player, but that's kind of where I see the Nets is they've kind of stayed neutral. You know, I could see him maybe getting a mid-pack uh, playoff position maybe a a five or six but I don't really see anything more than that to be honest and then another neutral team I'm looking at is the Golden State Warriors now this probably would have been in the area of improved because they would have had a healthy Klay Thompson but unfortunately they don't have Klay Thompson with the torn Achilles which is you know you feel bad for Klay because he's just coming off the ACL he's feeling good and then he tears his Achilles so that's really a big one But I kind of put them as neutral because they're going to have a healthy Steph Curry to play alongside uh, Andrew Wiggins, who they picked up midseason. But then you also have the addition of Kelly Oubre. You've drafted James Wiseman, number two. I talked about him last week and how he finally gives that size presence to the Warriors. But again, he's still young. He needs time to develop. And then 
just some one-year deals for Brad Wanamaker from the Celtics and then Kent Bazemore, who bounced around a lot last season. So the Warriors, will they get better? Yes, but I could see them getting into the play-ins. That's, that's as far as I could see them go. Because Steph Curry, he's, he's great. He's an all-time great, future Hall of Famer. But can he play to the level he was with, you know, the down years that they've had with no Clay Thompson now? It'll be two years without Kevin Durant. You know, they don't have the weapons that they did during those title years. So it'll it'll be real interesting to see what the Warriors do. But for me, at least, they can go as far as getting into the play-ins. That's as far as I see it. Because remember with the new structure in the playoffs is that 10 teams make the postseason and seeds 7 through 10 will go into the play-in games. And that's as far as I can see Golden State going. Now, another team, this this team had a little bit of improvement. I don't see them going far this season, but maybe in the future. And that's the Atlanta Hawks. Because Trey Young, he's already established himself as a superstar, as a shooter. And he's just got some veteran help around him. With all of the offseason moves. You have Rondo backing him up at the point guard. You got two power forwards in Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich. And then you have Chris Dunn as well. Is it going to be the big jump into the playoffs? Probably not. Because remember with, with him and John Collins. It, they'll get better. I think they'll get better. But I don't think they hit the postseason just yet. I really don't think that. They still need a few more years because Trey Young, he's only going into year three and he's already been named an all-star starter. Do they have the weapons around him? Sure, they have some more shooting around him. Gallinari was good in three. Bogdanovich, he's a three-pointer and all that. But do I really think they get better? No, I I don't see that at all. I think they just miss out on the play-in. But the good news is they won't be in the cellar. They won't be in the cellar of the Eastern Conference. So those are really the three teams that I see that really didn't improve as much to me personally. So then finally, the teams who have really worsened themselves, didn't really put themselves in a good situation for now and or the future. It's it's a small list, but I think it's a very important list. And the first obvious one I'm looking at is the Thunder. The Thunder have basically given up what they thought was a strong potential future and they blew it all away and got some veterans who are just past their prime. I mean, trading for Al Horford, George Hill, Trevor Ariza. I mean, these guys aren't going to help you win. They're just not. And you look at the future of that team, that future revolves around SGA, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And you gave up a strong point guard in Chris Paul. You gave up your dominant center in Steven Adams, which, by the way, I think it's a great pickup for the Pelicans, and they're going to get better with Steven Adams. But then you also give up Gallinari. You don't re-sign him. You know, this is what the Thunder were trying to do last season, and that was throw in the towel to get some picks. So now they're going to do it this year. This organization basically flat out told the world, we are playing to lose. Because we want a draft pick. Okay? You can get draft picks in the future. Like, they have hoarded up so many picks for the future. They want a rebuild. 
This organization wants to rebuild so bad, and they're not getting the opportunity to do that because of how great they played last season. They want to be in the bottom of that Western Conference so they can get the draft picks. They, they really do. I, I, it, nothing's more outrageous flat out saying that. I don't know how else you could say that. But, I mean, do I think that this could be the same thing for next year? Probably not. Because Chris Paul is not there to prove himself in in that trade. He's not really there. You have Al Horford, who just did not fit in Philadelphia. You have Trevor Ariza, who's bounced around so much. Combining that with your young guys like Dort and Gilgis Alexander, it, it just doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. So the Thunder, I will see them at the bottom of the Western Conference. Now, this next one might be a little bit shocking, but I'm saying the Milwaukee Bucks have worsened themselves because it is finals or bust for them in this upcoming year. If, if they do not get to the NBA Finals, they are not going to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo. They just won't. Did they set themselves up for a run this year? Possibly, okay? I think they gave up too much for Drew Holiday just to get that one guy. To help around. But then you have the pickups of Bobby Portis, DJ Augustine, Bryn Forbes, and Tory Craig. That's not as good as their bench was last year. It, it, it's just not. Okay, and with, with the players that they have now, they lost out on Wesley Matthews. So, who's your point guard, really? Because they gave up both of their point guards to pick up Drew Holiday. And he's a two guard. So, so who's going to play... Who's going to play the point guard? It just doesn't really make sense. You have Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, and then Brooke Lopez. I, who else is on your bench? Pat Connaughton? I, I just don't see the Bucks having a future that involves Giannis Antetokounmpo. Because I don't think they're going to even make the finals on a finals or bust team. Because remember, they got beat by Toronto. They got beat by Miami. Who's going to get them next? Boston? Philly? Giannis will not stay in Milwaukee. He just won't because he cannot get to the finals. And I predict that he will not get to the finals this year. So that's who I think have worsened themselves as Milwaukee. Not for this immediate year, but for the future that they do not have Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, one other team which everyone can see right through that worsened themselves are the Charlotte Hornets. Did they get better? Yes. But they paid too much for Gordon Hayward. Now, a healthy Gordon Hayward, pre-Boston Celtics, yes, he would be worth $30 million. But Gordon Hayward, yes, he improved. And he got 17.5 points per game this past season. But with all the injury history that he's had, they paid him too much. Okay, And I don't really know what Charlotte has got going on down there. I don't know what Michael Jordan is concocting there. But you have Hayward, and you have LaMelo Ball, and you have P.J. Washington, and Graham, and Rozier, and Bridges, and Zeller, and you have all those players. It's just a setup for failure. I don't think the Hornets are going to go anywhere with the way their roster is constructed at this time. Do they maybe reach the play-in? Maybe. But to me, that's kind of a long shot. Because Gordon Hayward, he's one of my favorite players. I, I loved him when he came to Boston. I think that was a great a great sign. But the injuries just did not work for him. And now he wants to go to a place 
where he's going to be a central part of that offense because he was probably going to be the number one or the number two when he first signed with Boston. But then here comes Jalen Brown. Here comes Jason Tatum. Here comes Kemba Walker. He was just, the situation and the circumstances could not have been worse for Gordon. So what he's doing in Charlotte, I don't blame him for taking the money, but it's just for a fit for Charlotte, that's where I scratch my head, and I'm thinking, why are you bringing in Gordon Hayward for this much? So it just doesn't make sense for the Hornets. And then the last team I'm looking at down the road, Houston. The Houston Rockets. They've got Christian Wood and DeMarcus Cousins. Does that do enough to keep James Harden and Russell Westbrook? No. It, it really doesn't because, remember, they, they gave up Robert Covington and they basically signed Christian Wood to make up for losing Clint Capella. Okay, they don't really have anything else other than their starting five or, or six players. But I, I've said it before, Westbrook and Harden just do not work on the same team. They just don't. And did they get better? No, they've kind of kept themselves in the middle. But they get worse because this will drive James Harden and Russell Westbrook out of Houston. Both of them. And the Rockets will find themselves back to the bottom of the Western Conference. Now, when that happens, we're not sure. But a sustained future with Westbrook and Harden will not happen in Houston. All right, Christian Wood, DeMarcus Cousins, they're two good signings. You get Cousins on a deal, on a, a cheap veteran's minimum, where, again, he's trying to prove that all these injuries aren't catching up to him. And Christian Wood, he's basically going to insert into that Clint Capella role. Now, Houston will not, they're not going to take a step forward. They're not. They've kind of just stayed where they were, but they got worse for the future. And just remember, this is only a week into free agency. There are still a ton of moves that could be made. previewing week 12 of the NFL and normally in these previews I'm talking about the games to watch and honestly looking at the week 12 schedule it's a lot of good teams versus bad teams there are a couple matchups I'm keeping my eyes on uh, that I think are going to be good like the Chiefs and the Bucks and the Bears and the Packers uh, games like that but I want to look mostly at the teams that need a win the must win teams right now because remember we're into week 12 of a 17 week season there's only a handful of games left and those playoff spots are going to start dwindling with the races as close as they are it's going to be real fascinating to see how crucial some of these games get and the first one I'm looking at will happen on Thanksgiving night and that is the Ravens and the Steelers now obviously this could change because of all the positive COVID cases that Baltimore has been getting. So they may not play the game or they may push it back to Sunday. We don't know. But we're gonna we're gonna assume that the six and four Ravens will play at the ten and O Steelers. And ultimately I think if Baltimore does not win this game, 
they are not going to make the playoffs. It's just so competitive for those last couple of spots. I mean, you have Pittsburgh at 10-0, Kansas City at 9-1, but then you have the Bills, the Colts, the Titans, and the Browns at 7-3. and And then you have the Raiders, the Ravens, and the Dolphins at 6-4. and And out of those nine teams, seven of them are going to make it. And I think the way the Ravens' schedule works is that they're not going to make it if they drop this game because they're going to go to 6-5. and five. And remember all of the other teams. The Raiders are playing the Falcons. The Bills are playing the Chargers. The Colts and the Titans are going to play each other. The Dolphins are going to have the Jets. The Browns are going to have the Jaguars. Okay, so Ravens, right now, they have the hardest matchup out of those teams. And the way they're sliding, this is just not a good time to play Pittsburgh. They've lost three of four. They can't make the big plays. And they can't throw the ball. Lamar Jackson just can't throw the ball. The Ravens have the second worst pass yards per game, only ahead of the Jets at almost 183.5 yards per game. So the Ravens just cannot muster a pass offense. Again, they've lost three of four. They're just not on the right track. And it's literally the worst time to play Pittsburgh when they're 10-0 and and they're rolling. So I think the Ravens, not only are they going to lose this game, but I think they're not going to make the playoffs. I think it's so competitive that you cannot slip up at all. And I think the Ravens aren't going to do it because their schedule does not get any easier. You know, they're going to have the showdown with Cleveland in two weeks. And that's really who's going to decide which AFC North team is going to get that second playoff spot. Before then, you host the Cowboys. Like, it's it's an easy schedule, yes. But I just don't think the Ravens, they're, they're sliding. They are sliding. And even if they do play the game, they're going to be without their top two running backs in Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. So they're going to rely on Gus Edwards. But... I, I just don't see the Ravens turning the corner. I don't think they can really get any better unless they develop a strong pass game. Now, the other games I'm looking at for teams who have to win is everyone in the NFC East. Now, I don't want to spend too much time because this is such a garbage division because every single one of these teams in the NFC East has three wins. Okay, every team is 3-7 and seven except for the Eagles who have a tie. And that is the difference maker in what has them the lead. Because I've said for weeks that the Eagles are the favorite. But they have just been sliding so much that I've had to really rethink this. And I honestly think that it will either be the Cowboys or the Giants who are going to come away with that division. And not only that, but they're going to get a home game. One of the the NFC East winners is going to get a home game. That's just insane. Now, the the games that are going on, on Thanksgiving, you have Washington at Dallas. That's the only in-division matchup you've got. But then you have the Giants at the Bengals, and then the Seahawks at the Eagles. And really, I think Dallas, if they can win, they can keep themselves alive. But right now, I think the Giants are in the best spot. Because not only... Do they have momentum? But they're playing against the Bengals team that just lost Joe Burrow. And I I hate to see Joe Burrow go out with that knee injury. 
But this is a prime position for the Giants and for Danny Dimes to really come out, put his foot on the gas pedal, and steamroll the Bengals, hopefully. Because we don't know what's going to happen with Washington and Dallas. All likelihood, the Seahawks are going to beat the Eagles. This is the Giants' opportunity to come away with that win and get themselves in the division lead. And remember, this is a Giants team without Saquon Barkley. I mean, if they're like this with Bar- without Barkley, imagine them with Barkley. They'll probably go 6-10 and 10 instead of 3-7. and seven. So everyone in the NFC East, keep your eyes on them. And then another matchup, Colts and Titans. Okay? And I really think the Colts are the favorite right now. It was that first matchup against Tennessee in Tennessee that the Colts won that really led me to believe that the Colts are going to win this division. I really do. And I think they can get as far as the three seed if they can win that division. Because I think Buffalo, there's still some questions about them. You know, they're in a race with the Dolphins in the AFC East. But, I mean, come on. That defense from Indy looks incredible. Did you see what they did to Green Bay? Last Sunday, they did a phenomenal job defensively. And if you look at the numbers defensively, they're in the top five in almost every defensive category. Second in yards allowed per game. Tied for fourth in pass yards allowed per game. Third in rush yards allowed per game. And fifth in points allowed per game. But for Tennessee, though, Derrick Henry needs to have more than 103 yards. He's got to have more. Because like I said... The third best rushing team in terms of yards allowed per game are the Colts. And they're not going to be scared of Derrick Henry. They don't care if he's the best back in the league. They're going to go at him, and they're going to stop him. And they're going to make Ryan Tannehill win that game. But I just think the Colts are in a great position right now to win that division. Now, some other games I'm looking at, I mentioned the Browns and the Jaguars. And I think this is Cleveland's opportunity to really separate themselves. Because remember, in two weeks, they're going to play Baltimore. If they can beat Jacksonville, which I think they will, they're going to get a nice two-game lead at most. If not, they're going to have that one-game advantage over Baltimore. And I think Cleveland is for real, and I will see them in the playoffs. I really do think so. I think they're going to, if they continue to win, because remember, look at the schedule. They're playing Jacksonville this Sunday. Then they travel to Tennessee, they host Baltimore, they go to the Giants, they go to the Jets, and then they play Pittsburgh. So they need to win now. Because who knows what Tennessee is going to be like next week? Who knows what Baltimore is going to be like? And then you have to end the season with Pittsburgh? I know everyone's talking about the Browns. Oh, they only beat the bad teams. But they win. They win. And that's what Cleveland has to do. Because I think out of those three games with Tennessee, Baltimore, Pittsburgh... They can beat Tennessee. And if they beat Tennessee, that gives them a greater chance to beat Baltimore. But they have to win this game against Jacksonville. They have to win it. And then another team I'm looking at, the LA Rams. They're hosting the Niners. And if you've been living under a rock and don't know what's been going on, the Rams are leading the NFC West. And with the division as tight as it is, the way their schedule is going to look, they need as much separation as they can. Because the Seahawks, as I mentioned, most likely they're going to beat the Eagles. And then you have the Cardinals who are playing the Patriots. Okay, so those two teams right there, 
in all likelihood, will win their games. And then the Rams in the future, they've got to play the Cardinals twice and visit Seattle. So they need to win this game. Similar to the Browns, they need that separation. Do I think the Rams will make the playoffs regardless? Yes. But it would be great for them if they could win the division. And then the last game I've got my eyes on, I mentioned it before, probably the game of the week, Chiefs and Bucks. And Tampa, I've said this over and over and over again, but Tampa Bay needs to play defense against good teams. Okay, they've allowed 20-plus points in five straight games. And it's not going to get any easier with Patrick Mahomes, which, by the way, after that Sunday night game, I've got him at the MVP. I think the touchdown-to-interception ratio really stands out for me. Because it was Russell Wilson who was leading in that category, and then Patrick Mahomes just took that over. So if the Bucks, if they don't win this game, I say they don't win the NFC South. They don't. Because who would have thought that the Saints can win with Taysom Hill? No one would have thought that. The Bucks need to win. They absolutely need to. Because that was, that was kind of an embarrassment for their offense against LA on Monday night. It really was. And this offense, they're not going to put up 30 points every single time. The, and 30 and 40 points. Okay? The defense needs to get them less than 20. If they can get them less than 20, then the Bucks have a greater chance to win. Because when the offense has bad nights like they have, you need your D to pick it up. And do I think they're going to win against Kansas City? I honestly don't. Because I think the Chiefs are just rolling right now. Is there a chance for an upset, though? Yes, I do think the Bucks have a chance to knock off the Chiefs. But I will lean more towards the Chiefs to pick up that win. Because let's be honest, they're rolling. Who's, who can stop them? No one can. You could you give Patrick Mahomes 30 seconds and he'll score a touchdown. The Bucks need it. They need it. And I guarantee that after this week we'll get an even better look at who the playoff teams are going to be in the AFC and in the NFC. Now then, to stay with the NFL, as I said, we are recording on a Tuesday. We just got the release of our 25 modern era players who have made it to the semifinals of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And there are four names that are on the first-year list that made it that far. And it is Jared Allen, Calvin Johnson, Peyton Manning, and Charles Woodson. And now I will throw my two cents into this. Three of those are gimmies. Three of those are gimmies, and they should make the Hall of Fame. And that's Megatron, the Sheriff, and Charles Woodson. I, I didn't know what Charles Woodson, if he had a nickname, but those three, definite locks. There were, there were a lot of talks saying this was probably going to be one of the best classes of all time. And those three make it up right there. Calvin Johnson, I know he retired early, but he's still got monster numbers. Monster numbers. And he should get in for sure. Peyton Manning, what more can you say? Five MVPs, two Super Bowls, maybe a top five quarterback of all time. I'm not going to get into the argument if he's the best or not, because he's not. It's Tom Brady. And then Charles Woodson, one of the best cornerbacks 
in of his time. He won a Super Bowl with the Packers, but everyone remembers him as the Raiders, and everyone was scared to throw at him because he was just so dangerous. He was so dangerous, and that should be so obvious that he gets in. Those three should get in. Now, the fourth one, Jared Allen, uh, it's hard to say. D-linemans, they come and go, and Jared Allen, he just didn't have that consistency it was really his time with Minnesota where he really became a force. But then he just moved from team to team. Uh, he went to Carolina for some time. He went to Chicago, I remember. But I think it. I, I don't think he'll make it this year. I think, does he make it in a few years? Maybe. But he's not that standout guy like a Peyton Manning or a Charles Woodson or a Megatron. Now, the other semifinalists on this list... It's so hard to it's it's so hard to tell because they're all so good. Like they were these are all time players. But are they Hall of Fame worthy is the question. You know, I have eyes on Richard Seymour, Rodney Harrison, Heinz Ward, and Patrick Willis. Those are the four I'm really keeping my eye on. And I I really don't know if any of them are going to make it. Because remember, they take as much as five finalists. And you already have three with Manning, Woodson, and Johnson. The, the Really, the one I could see, possibly, is Heinz Ward. Because he is a two-time champ. Does he have the all-time numbers that make up a Hall of Famer? No. But I think it's it's what he did in the playoffs with the Steelers that really put him on that list now Reggie Wayne I'm not really sure Patrick Willis he was a great linebacker but he wasn't like a feared linebacker you know he's not like a Lawrence Taylor or a Michael Strahan where you know for sure like you were scared to go against them because those two guys were in my opinion probably the most ruthless defensive players of all time but I, I don't see Patrick Willis or Reggie Wayne, possibly. And again, I mentioned Seymour and Harrison. I think they get close, but I don't think they make it. I, I don't think so. I mean, Rodney Harrison, Richard Seymour, they, they are kind of sentimental because it's the Patriots. But I, I don't see them making it, at least this year. That That's how I look at the picture. But everyone else on that list... I'm not really. I'm not really sure. Rondé Barber, maybe. Um, Tory Holt. He's been on a couple of years, but I don't see it. But we won't know until the days before the Super Bowl, because remember the list of 25 will go down to 15, and then eventually will go down to five and three for sure, as I mentioned, are going in. But if there were a fourth. And I think I think it will be four. And I think that Heinz Ward, he's going to get the votes eventually. And I think he's going to get them either this year or next year. That That's what I think. Because all three of those guys are standout. Heinz Ward, that's a name everyone remembers from those years with the Steelers. They know he was always the consistent man for Pittsburgh. In that 05-06 Super Bowl run, the Steelers, who was all reliable? Heinz Ward. 
Who won the MVP in that Super Bowl? Heinz Ward. And then he won another one in 2009. Now, everyone talked about Santonio Holmes in that game, but everyone forgets how good Heinz Ward really was. So I honestly, I could see four Hall of Famers getting in this year for the modern era players. But hey, what do I know? I'm not on the committee. I'm going to tell you a story. Now it's time to get on I-95, get onto the Mass Pike, get over the Zakem Bridge, and get local. It's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And this week we're going to talk about three teams. We'll talk about the Bruins, the Celtics, and the Patriots. And we're actually going to start with the Celtics because, like I mentioned, they were the teams I thought were kind of in the mid-level of free agency. And I'm going to explain why right now. But I love that dirty water. So for the Celtics, one of the things I mentioned that they need to improve on is they need veteran help off the bench. And I think they made some improvements in getting Jeff Teague. I think he's an established veteran that can help out and really give a good scoring chance off the bench. And Tristan Thompson, I'm I'm kind of he's kind of like one level up from Ennis Cantor. Like he's more of an offensive rebounder. And then he might be just a tad bit better defensively. But did they They kind of stood where they were. I mean, you, you lost Gordon Hayward, obviously. You lost Gordon Hayward, and that's going to be a big loss. So now your lineup, you're basically going to put Jalen Brown from the 2 to the 3, get Tatum from the 3 to the 4, and then it'll either be Daniel Tice or Tristan Thompson as your starting center. And then you insert Marcus Smart into the starting lineup. And honestly... To me, that just takes a step back in terms of the bench play because it, it's still a relatively young bench with the, the guys you see on this list. I mean, still, Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, they're going into their second year, and you have Robert Williams who's only going into his third year, and then you have some players who either could take a step forward, possibly in an increased role like Carson Edwards or Taco Fall, or Javante Green, and then you have a bunch of rookies. I still think this team is is too young. I think that's the problem. I think these are great players, but they still they need one more veteran, I think, off the bench. That's really what I think. And I think it's really going to have to come from the wing. If, if you can get a guy on the wing who's maybe a three or a four that could come on a veteran's minimum, I think that would make your team a little bit better. Now, do we know who that is? No idea. Not not a clue who that could be. Who would come on a veteran's minimum deal? I mean, maybe Nicholas Batum? Because remember, he was waived in Charlotte, and he could get a smaller deal. But honestly, I don't know who else is out there that would want to take a minimum deal. Now, honestly... I think this is going to be the team the way it is. What what you're seeing in the roster, that's who it's going to be. 
that's who it's going to be for the Celtics. And I honestly just think they're they're going to stay kind of even. Maybe take a tiny, and I mean it like a fraction of a step back because of the loss of Gordon Hayward. But honestly, for an offseason, if you had to give it a grade, I think it's like a solid B. I think, you know, Tristan Thompson was a guy they really eyed up, possibly making a trade for him. He could be a nice little double-double guy. And I think having him is an upgrade uh, from Ennis Cantor. And then who knows, maybe Daniel Tice would be better suited off the bench. And then obviously Jeff Teague. You, you needed an established veteran. And while Jeff Teague, I kind of looked at this and kind of thought, huh? Like, why would you sign this guy? But then you understand it because Brad Wanamaker signed out to Golden State. So having him as a backup point guard. Maybe he could go into that Marcus Smart role of being the leader of that second unit. But, you know, training camp does start in early December, and then we get into the games right away, right before Christmas. So it's going to be a short time for this chemistry to sort of gel together. But one of the teams that's playing right now in the city of Boston is the Patriots. And I did say last week, that I thought they should have won against the Texans, that they should win against the Texans, and I honestly did, I was a little nervous heading into that game, because like I said, Deshaun Watson, I think he's a better thrower than Lamar Jackson, and I just think the Texans, this was more about a Texans win than a Patriots loss, because their defense came out and they played great. I, I thought the Texans defensively did a really good job of shutting down the Patriots, and really making Cam Newton get those throws into some really tight windows. But it, it was all Deshaun Watson. I really, I think it was all Deshaun Watson. He proved why he should be considered a top 10 quarterback. And people don't believe this, but the Texans have some weapons. They have Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and Kenny Stills. I know Kenny Stills and Randall Cobb were out for a majority of that game. But still, this Texans offense is not to be taken lightly. I know they gave up DeAndre Hopkins, but they have some good weapons at wide receiver. Now, that also could be a part to the Patriots struggling defensively, which I really think they did. But I think Deshaun Watson is legit. And I think the Texans, if they can just get a wideout, like a number one, it, not a DeAndre Hopkins level, but possibly a number one option, then I think they can get back to where they once were. But again, we're talking about the Patriots, and unfortunately, it's not going to get any easier as they have to face Kyler Murray. And the only saving grace is that they have played two teams with quarterbacks who are similar to Murray and that they can throw and run, and they're both very lethal. And so far, they're 101. They stopped Lamar Jackson, but they didn't stop Deshaun Watson. But Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, man, they're just, their offense is not made to be stopped by this Patriots defense. And I honestly think that the Patriots will go to 4-7 and seven after this game. After they play in New England and they play Arizona, I, I don't see them beating the Cardinals. The Cardinals are just too good offensively. And looking at the future, the season for the Patriots... I don't know if you can get to 8-8. Eight and eight. I could see maybe a 7-9 and nine team. And everyone's talking about Rex Burkhead and how much he's lost. But you got to remember, 
James White is back there. Okay, to go from Burkhead to White is, is not a bad transition. So I don't think the offense is really going to lose a step, but I just think they're not going to win against the Cardinals. Now, it doesn't get any easier. They're only playing two more teams with a sub-500 record, and that's the Chargers and the Jets. And I know I said 7-9. and nine. That's probably the best they could get at. But if I'm thinking realistically, I'm thinking maybe a 6-10 and 10 season. I think, I think they could beat the Chargers and they could beat the Jets. I don't know about the other four because they're going to be in Los Angeles two weeks in a row to play the Chargers and then the Rams. And then you got to go to Miami where you've struggled in recent years. And then you have to host Buffalo. I don't see, I, I really don't see New England getting to a 500 record. And unfortunately, a long streak is going to be snapped of uh, over 500 record and making the playoffs for over a decade. So it's going to be a tough pill for Patriots fans to swallow. But I just think this is a lost season. And you'll have to come back next year, retool, give Cam Newton or whoever's going to be the quarterback there some more weapons on offense. And now lastly, just a brief touch upon the Bruins. They made sort of an offseason splash in that they re-signed Jake DeBrusque to a two-year deal. And I think I think it's a good move. Is that going to put them over the hump? No. But I think to have that veteran stick around for a little bit more time is going to be good for the Bruins. Because I know Jake DeBrusque is a fan favorite. I know he's a fan favorite. And... He's a solid player. He's not great, but he's not terrible. And I think he could be a factor in the beginning of the year. Because remember, no Marshawn, no Pasternak with those injuries. But I honestly think that DeBrusque is a good signing to have, especially for the Bruins. And, you know, before you know it, the season's going to be here for both the Celtics and the Bruins, so we will have to wait and see if all this off-season action pays off. So now it is once again that time of the week to look at the head scratcher lol moment of the week and this is a pretty special one because it is our first nba player to achieve this award we've had two in the nfl and one in the pga but this is the very first one to go into the nba and the head scratcher lol moment of the week is going to go to dwight howard now dwight howard's a character i'll tell you that He's a character in terms of really just head-scratching and wondering what is the basis behind his decisions. And you're starting to understand why he's bounced around for so many years and why he's been on, I want to say it's five different teams in five consecutive seasons. Because remember, he was a standstill with Orlando. Then he went to the Lakers for a year. He was with the Rockets for two years. And then he bounced around like crazy. He went to Atlanta, Charlotte, Washington, and then back with the Lakers. And now he's on a new team with the Philadelphia 76ers. And the circumstances that that happened were the head scratcher. So 
What Dwight Howard did on Twitter is he tweeted out that he's coming back to the Lakers, that he's going to re-sign. And then someone whispered in his ear and said, you should sign with the Sixers. And he did. And so he took back that tweet immediately. And everyone is kind of laughing their brains out at Dwight Howard. Really? Do you want to really make that assumption? I know the Lakers wanted to re-sign him. I know that. But to go to the Sixers, which I'll get into the Sixers in just a little bit, but Dwight, the you don't want to tweet anything until it becomes official. And he's trying to make the excuse of, oh, there was miscommunication. That's the excuse for everything. This was all Dwight Howard. Okay? He tweeted without even signing anything. You know, this this is probably worse than the uh, Bogdanovich thing. Where they traded where they traded him from the Kings to the Bucks, and then he said he never agreed to that. This is funnier than that. Dwight tweets he's gonna return, and then it turns out he's not gonna return. And you know what's similar to that? It's as similar as how he left the Lakers the first time. Is that he kinda gave the middle finger to Los Angeles saying, Hey, it was great. Thanks for giving me a ring and giving me a chance to win. But it's time for me to go elsewhere. Now, do I think Dwight Howard fits with the Sixers? Time will tell. Time will tell. Because that team is centered around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And the Sixers, again, they're a team for me that kind of went sort of in the middle. They went into the middle of they didn't get better, but they didn't get worse. But they did get a pretty funny guy in Dwight Howard. I mean, to tweet that you're going to a team... And get everyone's hopes up. Like, you would have thought he was probably turning a corner. Remember, he was a head case in the locker room. But they gave him an ultimatum when he signed with the Lakers this time around, saying, if you're a head case in this locker room, you're not going to have a future. And it turns out he had a future. It was to get a ring and beat it. So Dwight Howard, you and your Twitter account have made our head scratcher LOL moment of the week. So that's going to do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and listening. Once again, I hope you have a very safe and happy Thanksgiving with you and your loved ones. And remember, whether you're at the dinner table with some turkey or on the couch with some leftovers, if you got a point to get across, just tell the whole world, shut up and let me speak. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.